Not Your Poppies podcast is a place where booze and humor are used to bring you the real raw stories of women throughout history. It's feminism with a hint of tequila. No es cafecito con tu abuela. It's tequila shots with your best friend. My name is Carmen. And I'm Laura. And welcome to another episode. How's your week been? Oh my God, dude. It's been, I've been trying to catch up on my sleep. I feel, I feel like I've been tired for the last six days. <laughs> How's your week been? Since I was there. So right after you, so you left what? Thursday afternoon. So you uh, left Friday. Friday. Oh that's true. Okay. So you left Friday afternoon and Sunday. Saturday. So Saturday about midday, my cousin gets here with two of his friends and we decided that we were going to go out for dinner, get drinks. Um, Fernando was like an awesome sport and the kids like, you know, had to sleep over at his house. So I got to go out and be an adult and we went out and we went like bar hopping around El Paso. And then we came back and like continued a party here at my house, like just us four having an awesome time. And I'm exhausted. Like so I've been recovering. taking, I've been taking naps every day. I'm like an old lady. No, dude, it's different. It hits different now. Like if I go out, like I think I'm still recovering from being in El Paso. So since so, so Monday, I the neighbor, it's like my only friend, right? So the neighbor's like her husband's in town because he works out of state. And then um they started grilling and then Brandon's like, hey, we should just go real quick. And I was like, see, sí, dale. Pues, se dio. And I was like, oh my God, the morning I woke up, I was like, no, I just like how? how, how, how I need to stop it because it took me like five days to recover. And it's like, not even just like that hangover. It's mostly like, like, like mentally recovering, like your brain gets so foggy. And I, I noticed mm -hmm. on myself, like I become more unproductive. Like I already have to deal with my ADHD and then just like that fogginess that I'm like, Oh, I'm, I know I'm driving like 70, I'm at a 70%, you know? So yeah. I should take a break again on drinking. It was nice. You know what? I actually am going to go on a drinking break. Um, Because remember how Fernando, he gave it up for Lent. So that's like one of the, the things I gave up. And, and I don't usually give up anything for Lent. But I was like, you know what? Cutting alcohol and sugar from my diet for like the next 30 days is probably a good idea. Just because in less than a month, I'm going to be turning 30. And I want to start off my 30s, like, on the right foot. Like, I want to start off as healthy as possible. Now, I don't know if 30 days can erase all the damage I did to my body in my 20s. In 30 years? Yes. <laughs> but here's right. to hoping. Here's to hoping. Well, good luck on your journey. I, I mean, I, I'll just take, like, healthy breaks, but I won't give it up. Because if I give up something, I will be very unsuccessful. And then I'll hate myself for it because I am so hard on myself. So I'm just like, eh, maybe just when it, you know later like I don't have yeah. to do it all just because everybody else is doing it I don't have to be a cool kid and do it myself so yeah my no for me one of the things I actually have been really good at is remember how I was going like on a candy eating binge where I was like eating a candy like every two hours and so I actually stopped and I haven't had candy in maybe a little over a week now 
And I've been doing really good because like all the candy is still kind of there because even my kids are not even like going up to eat it anymore. So I don't know if they're like, you know how they say like uh, kids follow their like parents behavior. So I have been doing really, really good with the candy. I actually um, have not had any like uh, like uh, pre-produced food. So like cookies, anything sweet, haven't ate it. I've been making all of my food at home this last week. And the first three days, I'm not going to lie, dude, I was tired. I had brain fog, like you were saying. And I didn't know if it was like from the hangover. I didn't know if it was like exhaustion. And another thing I've noticed is since the pandemic, because I went so long without seeing other adults, that when I do see adults nowadays, it takes me a little bit longer to recover. Like I think, yeah, because you're like overstimulated by like, like, you know, being around people mm-hmm. that, yeah, that coming back to it. Is and also the lot. worry. I don't know if this ever happens to you, but when I go out and it's been less than a handful times since the pandemic began, but when I have gone out for the next week or two, I'm stressing that I might've caught COVID. Oh, no, that doesn't happen to me. And well, I don't know if it's because literally I'm me and my kids are like the only people I know that have not caught COVID. I haven't caught COVID either. Are we better than everyone else? Of course we are. Just, just kidding. We're just, Aries. No, I'm don't kid around you. it. <laughs> God, the self-righteousness that we carry. Um, no, yeah, I, I I literally saw everybody else around me get COVID, um, unfortunately pass away from it. So mm-hmm. it's definitely serious and it's definitely still real. Um, yeah. Even when I, you're vaccinated. Mm-hmm. still there yeah. that was just the scariest part seeing everybody during the omicron season just fully vaccinated even like boosted up getting covid and so mm-hmm. it was some intense times but yes it feels like we're getting into some type of normalcy and i'm hoping on that yeah. um who, who knows who knows but then we're going into world war three so it's just lots of stuff uh, dude what is up with toxic masculinity yeah <sighs> it's always I, the short ones Hitler was short is this Putin guy short? Putin yes he is he is, is he? I'm gonna google him yes because people always make fun of him they call they call him the short king um watch I'm gonna google him I mean, right now Putin height it yeah I mean Napoleon was short <laughs> hey if you're short that's fine like we still love you you're oh honey so he's five seven is he? Yes, he's like an inch taller than me. Oh, the only no, reason okay. we're making fun of his height is because he is starting a war. You guys, this has nothing to do. Um, yeah, we with don't. Height. It has to do with what you want to compensate with your height, and that's being a dick. Putin yeah, is being a dick right now. And there's other ways to go about this. You could buy yourself a big lifted truck. You can um, get platform mm-hmm. shoes. Or you could just own your high because there's nothing sexier than a man who owns who he is. Let me tell you that is sexy. That's very true. But I, um, Putin is not sexy. He is a horrible person. And um, what he's doing is disgusting. It's horrible. I don't think there's any other way of describing it. It's, it's so sad. Yeah, it's tough times for sure. Yeah, no, a lot is going on. But geez. How exhausting. The world is heavy right now. The world is exhausting. I've been feeling it. I'm like, what? Is it just me? 
And then I'm like, no, everybody's feeling it. Everybody's yeah. feeling like that exhaustion, I, I think. So to me, it's been like an ongoing thing of what's been happening in Palestine, right? What's been happening in Syria and now what's happening in Ukraine. And to me, they're all equally, they just hurt my heart. And I'm like scrambling, like as a person on the other side of the world, what can I do to help these people? Where can I donate? And sometimes it hurts because you hear of all these places um, where people have donated in other times when there's been like war or disaster. And you hear about these people like taking advantage and like the donations never even actually make it to the people. Or another thing is like, how can we push for our politicians to accept more refugees and not use it as a colorism, racism tactic? It's so hard. I'm sorry. I don't mean to bum everybody out, but these are thoughts that are like, you know, but but you know what, this is a beauty of Gen Z, right? And the beauty of like social media and TikTok. I was reading that Um, in order to support uh, like Ukraine, Mm -hmm. people were buying Airbnbs in Ukraine, fully knowing that they aren't going to stay there just to continue supporting the economy and the people there. So I think that's a really good idea because you know directly who the money is going to. Oh, um, I love that. Like, yeah, people are getting super creative. Yeah. Uh, as far as like, yeah, the refugee situation, I hope we can get Ukrainians in, right? A hundred percent. But let's keep that energy mm-hmm. with Syrians, with um, people in the Middle East um, going through this that have been going through this for decades. And that would be my only mm-hmm. feedback. If we're going to do it to Ukraine, let's do it to everyone else equally. Yes. Um, because they've been stuck. They've been going through some serious shit for the last, I mean, generations so that would be on it but yeah let's get creative if you guys have great ideas uh, or let us know of avenues that we can um support ukraine right now please let us know we're completely mm-hmm. open and we'd love to know more of your ideas yes so but you were also going to say something about like you give better advice to people about taking care of themselves my advice uh go take care of yourself if it's something as minuscule as just taking the day off and eating cereal in your pajamas, do it. If it's smoking a cigarette and, and that just gives you that one thing, that one satisfaction, do it. If it's drinking tea, do it. Whatever, it doesn't have to be elaborate. I know last week we were like talking about our fancy time at the spa, right? If you don't have access to doing that, do something that's just for you. Take care of yourself. Turn off social media. It'll be there tomorrow. I promise you. There will be more gossip. There will still be the drama on Modern Warrior and all his women. I promise you guys, just do whatever it takes to take care of your mental well-being. And that's all I have to say on that. I like that. I like that. Yes. Um, remember, you can't pour from an empty cup and uh, stay out of the womb lands. <laughs> that drama is getting out of hand because at this point um i don't even know what no one's really are in that drama and i've I've heard about all these new characters and i'm like Mm -hmm. wait there was no character development how there were so many plot holes like somebody please i'm just gonna say you guys um if you're gonna say your truth say your truth don't fabricate stories because then you get caught up in your own lies and then you're not going to get the reaction you want. You're not going to get the response you want. And you're going to try to dig yourself more and more in there because you're just going to start trying to put more and more stuff together. That is is not real. It doesn't make sense anymore. And people get hurt in the process because that's 
funny as it is to kind of watch the whole thing unravel at first it was like really intense because you're like okay what happened but then you start getting the details and you're like okay honey you got played that's mm. that's what happened we all get played yeah we all get played. we all play sometimes don't get so down on it on it right um but when you start using that to kind of um how would i say step over people you instead of people feeling empathy for you we just start to like yeah mm, you know what i mean because so, have you seen how many indigenous women are being attacked because of this 100 percent. no i've seen everything about it so this whole drama right if you guys haven't kept on it it's 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 literally it's with chelsea and like modern warrior yeah tiktok drama if you guys it's a simple search right on on tiktok just put the modern warrior in chelsea and you guys will get the whole breakdown people are doing like getting really creative at explaining it from a to z mm -hmm. um I, I would say go do your homework if that's something you want to follow. But my my biggest advice would just be just, you know, if you're going to do something, if you're going to be um, wanting to express to someone how they made you feel, how about you tell the person directly how they made you feel yeah. in, instead of, um, you know, just starting like social media drama. And that goes to anyone. If you're feeling right now like you need to post about your breakup on Facebook, maybe give it a couple of days and then tell me yeah. how you feel later right like then it gets messy and ugly and it's just it's just it's have you ever heard it. like don't fight in the heat of the moment take a yeah. couple of minutes a couple of days even weeks and if i would say i would even go as far as say okay this happened take take a month 30 days if after 30 days, you still feel as passionately about it, reach out the, to that person, right? Mm -hmm. um, just because th this is something that's a little bit more private. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Dude, I mean, okay. When two but, Aries are telling you guys this, right? Did you know that they're two Scorpios? <sighs> they're Scorpios. <laughs> Oh my God! But we're Aries. When you have and two I Aries, Aries, right? When you have two Aries telling you guys to take a moment and chill out before you actually be reactive, that says a lot from two Aries because we're everything but, um, you know, thinking about what we're gonna say and how we're gonna say it because we're just naturally people who just do it in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, too much. Okay, work. but enough about the TikTok drama. I yeah. actually. I've been getting on the um, story time TikToks where people are doing like their little niche projects, like they're filling up like Starbucks cups with like glitters and stuff, or they're doing like little bracelets, like all these arts and crafts. And on top of them, they have like uh, an anonymous like Reddit story, like, am I the a-hole, right? Uh, kind of that. Um and I've really gotten into it because as I'm watching mm. this person and I'm like, oh, my God, how do you do that? That looks amazing. I'm listening to the story and I'm like, oh, wow, you are totally not the age. Isn't it crazy how your <laughs> mind can do like both things, right? It can like watch something, but also listen to something completely different. It's really fascinating. I like it I is. like that side of TikTok. And I like cheese me as well as like you seeing people's little quirks and like talents. I love it. Yeah, that's super cute. Well, happy Women's History Month, Laura. Happy Women's History Month, Carmen. Are yeah. you doing anything special to celebrate your month? Mm, no. So I, no, no, I don't think anybody should praise me for being a woman, right, for existing. But 
Um, I think our podcast does a really great job at celebrating women right throughout history and and it really uplifts their voices and that's our job here so i think that's how i'm celebrating it oh i love that that is true um because that's that's actually what we started right and we don't just need a month we need a whole podcast because we have yeah. all these stories that we want to bring you guys and we're so excited we're excited when we're learning about them we're excited when we're telling you guys about them and even afterwards like the conversations we have like oh my god do you remember so and so that i covered and um the cheeseman just keeps on going on it's like cheeseman that never so ends it always gives there i go again oh my god can we put a tally one two okay all right no more this is it that was one and done okay one two and done all right. Hey, let's transition over to you. What's your story? What do you have for us? Dude. Okay. I'm super excited about my story today because um, I want to give a shout out to Vulgar History Podcast by Ann Foster, um, who does amazing podcast and writing on women in history. And this is like going back a little bit further than our stories. So um, I heard one of her episodes and I'm like, oh my God, the gossip the chisme is just giving like chisme, 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 chisme. And so I am bringing you the hottest gossip from the 1600s today. Oh, the 1600s. Yeah. <laughs> right. Are you excited? I'm okay. so excited. Let's go. So I even titled my story just to let you know. <laughs> so today I'm actually going to bring you the story of tits out Francis Howard and the murder at King James the First Court. Did you say tits out? Yes, I did. Boobies out. Yes, I did. I'm telling you, the cheese man, the gossip is just going to be on point for this one. I am so excited. Um, I can't believe I had never heard about her because, like, honestly, at this point, she's like. Okay. In a way she is an idol. In other ways, I'm like, okay, I'm, I don't know. I don't think I would go as far as that. Um, but nevertheless, let me introduce you to Frances Howard. So Frances Howard was born May 31st in 1590 in England. So Frances came from noble lines from both her mom and her dad, right? So from an early age, they were basically, you know, getting her ready to marry her off to the best suitor, the best way the family could keep on going up. So in 1604, at just 14 years old, she was married to 18-year-old Robert DeVoe. Now, although they got married, her family wanted to wait until her body was fully developed before the marriage was consummated so as to avoid a young pregnancy because they you know they were um definitely higher rank so they were a little bit more educated and they realized that a young pregnancy could really hurt a you know a little girl's body so because of this, Frances got to stay at home with her parents. And in 1607, DeRue, so the husband, um, now I'm going to mention him by last name because there's going to be other Roberts showing up in the story. So I'm just going to mention them by last name. So DeRue ended up taking off on a two-year trip around Europe. So he's like, I'm going to go see the world, which at that point was like Europe. So Unfortunately, during his trip, DeVru cont uh, contracted smallpox. Small Can't even talk right now. <clears throat> so, unfortunately, during his trip, DeVru contracted smallpox. And when he came back to England, Francis basically did like 
everything in her power to avoid being alone with him. She's like, no, first of all, no quiero que me contagies, whatever you have, I don't want it. And second of all, I don't even like you anymore, homeboy. Like, it's not it, it's not giving, it's not sexy, I don't want it. So she was doing smallpox, can you, you can die from it, right? It was a disease you can die, yeah. Yeah, it was like worse than chicken pox. (laughs) That's, I always confuse the both, like the two of them, smallpox and chicken pox. And I feel like smallpox, oh, and also like smallpox gave you worse scarring. Like you could tell when a person had had smallpox. Gross. Yeah. So that, along with like Francis is like, eh, I'm not feeling you anymore. I don't really want to consummate this marriage. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I'm never alone with you, right? She wanted absolutely like nothing to do with him. Now, funny thing is, during the time that DeVrue was abroad, Francis had actually gotten to know and also fallen madly in love with Robert Carr. All right. So Robert Carr, um, he ended up becoming Earl of Somerset. So I'm going to refer to him as Somerset. So Somerset came from very humble beginnings. He was a page in Edinburgh and he was like super handsome, charismatic, and just a very, very ambitious young man. So during his time as a page, he became really close friends with a writer by the name of Thomas Overbury. So he ended up, they ended up becoming like this little team, like a little clique of two. So basically while Somerset was like running around the Royal court, making everybody like fall madly in love with him, Thomas was like working behind the scenes to make sure that Somerset was leveling up in the world. Right now, In 1607, Somerset had been in a jousting match where he unfortunately broke his leg during the match. Now, a little bit before the match and during the match, he had actually caught the eye of no other than King James I. King James. I don't know my kings. I just know Henry because he was a perv. So King James I is already going into the Stuart era. So he he comes after, he comes after, I think it was King Henry VIII, Queen Elizabeth, and then it was the person that Elizabeth um, put up, which I think was also, no, what was his name? I can't remember. And then it was King James. So it's like, like three people later. Now, King James I has a reputation throughout history of not being the most heterosexual king if you know what I mean, wink, wink. He's my wink. favorite already. He's my favorite king ever. Okay. Well, stick to that. <laughs> so basically, you know, uh, Somerset catches the eye of King James I, who when he falls and breaks his leg, he's like, oh my God, not the handsome one. So basically King James like does everything in his power to make sure that Somerset has like the best care and he's like brought back to health. So Somerset recovers like phenomenally from this like broken leg which like something back in the day a broken leg could have killed you dude so at this point we know king james is like infatuated with somerset and he ends up knighting him and he names him a viscount rochester and makes him a privy counselor so in other words he gives them every single title to make sure that they can spend as much time alone and together as possible oh i like that 
so Somerset is just going around being like, mm, I'm breaking hearts everywhere. Everybody loves me. Now, yeah. by this time, Francis and Somerset had already begun their little liaison. And it's funny because the way the Howards are kind of referred to in history, kind of think of Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. My favorite character of Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so they're they're conniving. Oh, they're no, 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 wait. Fair. He's not my favorite. I was thinking. I was going to say, okay. <laughs> not Littlefinger. I hated Littlefinger. Okay, sorry. I was not a fan. But yes, continue. But just like so, that conniving douchey dude. Yes, he was very conniving, very calculating, which in the books, not the series, in the books, Littlefinger is a lot more calculating then they portrayed the character in the show. Just to let you guys know, he's a lot more skeevy. It's a lot harder to catch on to the stuff that's going on behind the, you know, behind the scenes that he's cooking up. But basically that was the Howards. So, you know, they already have their little liaison going on and Francis's family, the Howards, they start noticing like, huh, Somerset is basically the king's favorite. He's rising up in ranks thanks to the growing favor of King James. And so when Frances announced that she wants to divorce DeVru to be able to marry Somerset, obviously she had her family's like full support. They're like, yes, divorce that other ugly dude and let's marry the cute handsome one that the king is like infatuated with. So here's the question. How do you get a divorce in the 1600s? No, no, somebody has to die no because at that point you would become a widow oh then never mind (laughs) well you could have a marriage dissolved if it has not been consummated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so remember what i told you before francis was doing everything in her power to make sure she was like never alone with devro yeah now so thanks to like francis's many efforts um it was never consummated Now, during this time, right? So this is all kind of happening around the same time. Like I'm kind of going back and forth in the little timetable here. But during this time, Thomas Overbury, so the best friend of Somerset, he's starting to become extremely jealous of the relationship that Somerset and Francis have. So Overbury was worried that Francis' reputation could damage Somerset's. Like, what reputation? What are you talking about, Overbury? Well, Miss Frances, as we know her, was known for dressing really quite risque. And she would wear dresses where her neckline would go all the way down to show her cleavage. And that's how she got her name. Yes. <laughs> Tip down Frances. Now, if you look at portraits of her, like you could see, like in her portraits, and no, this was not a common way women of that era dressed. This was her. This was her style. All right. Like she was there. She had them. She flaunted them. She wanted the world to see them. Good for her. Right? I'm like, girl, you got it. Flaunt it. Right? Show what your mama gave you. Now, since she was known for these dresses that like barely covered her, you know, like her little nips. Um, 
Overbury became worried about their relationship because, you know, he's like, oh my God, that's my best friend. He's going up in ranks and, and um, marrying this like awful, risque, promiscuous woman is going to ruin his chances. And I'm like, dude, he's already the king's favorite. What what chances is she going to like, you know, what, what chances is she going to ruin? So at this point of the story, we have Somerset cute, handsome, young Somerset. You have on one side, King James completely head over heels for him. You have Overbury, his best friend, completely obsessed with him. And then you have Francis, his lover, want-to-be wife. And he's like, this, this is like a quin... Quadruplet? Quad, no, no, quadruplet would be four. This was five. Well, no. Oh, yes, it is five because we're forgetting about DeVrew, who right. is currently married to it Francis. Messiness. Mm. So I'm telling you, the cheesemate gives on this one. So Overbury did what basically any sane best friend would do in this scenario. And he published a poem where he wrote the description of the ideal wife which he cleverly titled a wife. Very deep. Extremely. So imagine this. We make fun of the um, guys on TikTok, the male podcasters that are always like, uh, if a girl is like this, she's not wife material, blah, 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 blah. So imagine that, but 1600 style. Have you ever heard the saying that like male podcasters, they're not really looking to get women's approval. They're looking to get men's approval. So maybe they are on the DL. I haven't heard that. Not yet. I wonder what they think about our podcast. They probably I'm hate sure. us. I'm I sure love it. I'm sure they do. I don't care. But well, in this case, this was definitely Overbury. He had this like toxic masculinity mentality. But it's not so much because he wanted the ideal wife. It's because he wanted no women to take his best friend's attention from him. Right? So during this time, so he published a poem and he's also making it his mission to make sure that uh, Francis and DeVos' divorce doesn't go through. Because obviously she can't marry Somerset if she's still married to DeVoe. So Francis, aside from being like extremely sexy, was extremely intelligent and came from an extremely conniving family. So she catches on. She's like, hmm, so you're going to publish a poem that is directly calling me out. And you're also going to side with my husband on this to make sure, like, I can't get out of this. You want him to yourself, don't you? So basically, she ends up coming up with a scheme, a plan to get Overbury kicked out of court, right? Because if you can't find a solution to the problem, you get rid of the problem. So, which is probably the same thing, but basically Francis, with the help of her family, Queen Anne and the King, they end up coming with a plan to have Overbury commit treason. So basically what ends up happening is King James offers Overbury the, the assignment of a Russian ambassador. And they like do this knowing full well that Overbury cannot be separated from Somerset. So 
he's going to decline it. And basically what ends up happening is that Overbury turns it down and he gets charged with treason for disobeying the king. So you ask yourself, like, why is King James helping? Well, like I said it before, King James was also infatuated with Somerset. So basically he was super jealous of the close relationship Overbury had with Somerset. So if he could get rid of, you know, Overbury himself, that means he would have Somerset all to himself at court. So it's basically one less person to have to share your quote unquote favorite, maybe lover, maybe obsession with, I don't know, something like that. The plan goes through flawlessly, right? He offers him the Russian ambassador job. He says, no, they're like, oh my God, you said no to your king. That's treason. You're going to jail. So Overbury gets sentenced to jail. And five months later, he dies of quote unquote natural causes. He was murdered. Mm. Was he? We'll find out. We get Overbury out of the way. Finally, the divorce is kind of going through. They're going to court. And at the divorce court, Francis states that they couldn't consummate the marriage because DeVrew could not perform. She's like, I just, I don't know. I tried everything. He couldn't get it up. It's not working. And DeVrew is like, excuse me? That's not how it went. DeRue ends up having his friends testify on his behalf that he in fact can have an erection and that he has slept with many people during his trip around Europe. So I'm like, yeah, oh. so like my friends are gonna well, I guess so. Like yeah. oh, so stupid. Of course he can keep it up. <laughs> I've seen now we're him. talking about his like, oh now we're like his masculinity, right? Like it's so fragile. Like, no way. You've seen me be with all these women yeah yes he's like of course I could be with this woman I've been with so many of them and so the way that the court could make sure that they in fact had not consummated the marriage was that they did the ultimate virginity test so the court had 10 matrons and two midwives perform the exam now Frances because she was of such shy nature she was like an incredibly shy person She's like, I'm so willing to do the test, you guys. Just let me cover up my upper half, you know, like my little cleavage, my face. Let me cover it. I'm just so shy and this is so invasive. And everybody's like, yeah, of course. Like, you know, we don't, we don't want you in a position where you're exposing too much of yourself. So she gets covered. They do the virginity test and she passes. Mm-hmm. Me too. I would be a virgin too. I swore on my kid. I'm a virgin mm. too. I swore on my two kids that I am most definitely a virgin. And DeVrue is like just not willing to accept defeat. So he starts going off and he's saying like, well, I can't have, you know, sexual relations with this woman because she's mean to me. She is sexually unappealing and she emasculates me. So at this point, he's like pointing the finger at her, 
which, you know, knowing the history, we do know she pretty much did everything in her power to make sure that like he never got it up for her. Um, but it's funny because he starts getting very angry, very defensive. I mean, as he should, because she is basically like calling out him, like not being a man in front of the whole world. So the judges, they start to suspect that maybe some sort of Satanism and curse might be involved. So they end up suggesting that DeVroe should go to Poland for an exorcism. Because, you know, maybe if we exercise all these demons out of you, you'll be able to devil inside of him that's why he can't perform hmm not not that there's a medical concern or maybe you just can't do it you you have the devil inside of you okay Mm -hmm. and that's why you can't bring it up see boys you don't need viagra you need an exorcism So, (laughs) so basically um at this point, like the trial is like the hot gossip in town, right? Because everybody's like, oh my God, did you hear DeVoe can't keep it up? And everybody's like, oh my God, and did you hear like cute old Francis is a virgin? Yes. Somerset ends up like they're tired, like the trial's taking on forever. And Somerset ends up going to the king and asks him to help him, um, you know, get the marriage annulled. So King James does just that because Somerset is his favorite and King James will do whatever it takes to make him happy. So finally, DeVoe and Francis get divorced. And a couple months later, Francis and Somerset get married and they live happily ever after. Just kidding. They don't. Well, two years after Overbury's death, someone conveniently noticed that Overbury had in fact not died of natural causes, but had actually been murdered. I told you I always get it right. Dude, you should be like on CSI. I'm just saying. I am CSI, baby. I am. This is like what the third murder you've already solved. There you go. Um, FBI, any job openings? (laughs) So basically, um, once again, Francis goes back to court, back to trial, because everybody's pointing the finger at her, right? It's like, who else had a reason to murder him? Well, she's the center of town gossip again. And so she ends up going to trial along with Somerset and four other individuals for the murder of Overbury. So now Francis ends up like testifying like everything. So at this point, this girl is like, I'm just going to let it all out of the bag. So based off of her own testimony, this is what happened. So she had the Lieutenant of the Tower of London replaced with Gervais Howies, which is a man who had a little bit more of a flexible morality to him. So it was easier to, you know, convince him to do stuff with you, especially when you're so, you know provocative and she also ended up befriending one of the jailers who was Richard Weston who was also the person who um would conveniently take Overbury's food to him as well as he had some knowledge about how poison worked then they also brought on Miss Ann Turner, who was the wife of a physician and had access to drugs. And just to cover like every little corner, they brought on Simon Franklin, who was a known apothecary. 
So you have the physician's wife, the apothecary, the jailer, and the um, lieutenant of the Tower of London, and obviously Francis and Somerset. So they had this whole scheme and plot that not only were they going to get Overbury in jail for treason, they were going to permanently get rid of him. So basically what they did is they ended up using sulfuric acid and they would put it in Overbury's meals, which Weston would take to him. And that's how he ended up getting poisoned and died, murdered. So Francis pleaded guilty, but Somerset was like, I had no idea. Like, I had no idea that she was planning this. Like, she's just the love of my life and I just want to make her happy. But at this point, King James, like I said, obsessed with Somerset and wanting to make sure that he takes care of him. He's worried that he might like lose his favorite person. So he starts like pleading with him to plead as guilty because if Somerset pleads as guilty, then he could receive the king's pardon. But if the jury, you know, finds that he is guilty, he could be put to death. But nevertheless, Somerset's like, nope, I'm innocent. So this goes to jury, this goes to trial. So you ask yourself, well, why was King James so worried about what the jury might say? Well, one, it is rumored that not only was he involved in the scheme to get Overbury put in jail, but he was also involved in the plot to get permanently rid of Overbury, right? And two, one of the jurors was none other than Robert DeVrew himself, the bitter ex-husband. Oh, snap. So basically... Um, you know, they go through jury, they go through the whole trial, blah, blah, blah. The verdict comes back as guilty. They're all found guilty. Now, Francis and Somerset, just because they did have much higher ranks at court, they're, they ended up getting sentenced to life in prison and the, their four accomplices, they ended up being sentenced to be hanged. So the other four person died and Somerset and Francis go off to the Tower of London. Now, you would say like, oh my God, they're in jail. Like, oh, what a horrible time. No, they're rich people. Jail for them was like a staycation. So what's funny is during the whole trial, the poem by Thomas Overbury, a wife, ended up becoming like extremely popular and like everyone had a copy of it. And so both Francis and Somerset ended up being pardoned and they ended up only spending two years in the Tower of London during which Francis gave birth to their daughter, Anne. So they did end up having a daughter. And Francis Howard Carr, the Countess of Somerset, passed away in 1632 at the age of 42. Robert Carr, the Count of Somerset, passed away 12 years later in 1644. King James' reputation never recovered from his involvement with the plot to incarcerate and murder Thomas Overbury. Robert DeVrew ended up getting married again, but he never had a child. Hmm, interesting. And the poem, A Wife, went on to be incredibly popular for the next 60 years. Oh. And that is the gossip, true crime story that I bring you from Tits Out Francis Howard and the murder at King James Court. I just love the name Tits Out. It's beautiful, beautiful. 
I'm just like, this gossip is like so hot. It's like that was it had everything you could want. It's got love, sex, it's got murder, it's got oh, I I, I like love how to get away with murder in the 1600s. It's oh. so nice. I liked it. Good job. Thank Good you. Job. I'm telling you, this I was like, we've had heavy stories, we've had inspiring stories. Let's give some cheese me. We deserve cheese in every once in a while. Yeah, Great. hell yeah. And I'm glad you took it. What are you drinking? Tequila sun rice, my version that, of pineapple weren't, juice. Weren't you just saying that you're not drinking sugar? You're not drinking alcohol? I said I haven't been. And starting tomorrow, I'm going to give up alcohol as well. Hey, we start on Mondays here. We start on Mondays and no. Well, no I'm going to start on a Sunday just because, you know, it's holy day, whatever. I'll start, start on, on Monday. Who cares? No one's looking. That's true. I'll think about it. Maybe. <laughs> you have options. All right. Well, hey, my story was also like inspired by a podcast. It was a history chicks. And I was like, I've never heard the story. My goodness. So I'm going to talk today about um, the story of Nellie Bly. Ooh. Do you know, do you know her? No, I have no idea. Is this also like hot gossip, like cheese mint? No, no, this one's more innocent. It's a cutie pie, but she's a badass. So um, in 1880, the Pittsburgh Dispatch published an article titled, What Girls Are Good For? The article talked about how women shouldn't, women shouldn't be allowed to work because their job was only to bear babies and that was it. They're not good for anything else. Um, they just have to be cleaning and staying at home. So a few days later, the newspaper gets a letter from a 16-year-old kid with the pseudonym, The Lonely Orphan Girl. So she writes back challenging this idea in like very poor English, right? She's still a kid. And so she's still trying to like navigate her life. But she heard this and she's like, no, no, I'm not just good for this. This isn't what I'm going to live up to, right? Um, and she talks about how important it was for women to be independent and self-reliant. It was so passionately written that the editor, George Madden, was so impressed um, that he like followed up and sent and wrote an article on the newspaper and was just like, hey, lonely orphan girl, who are you? What's your name? Expose yourself. You're actually pretty interesting. Um, so he, the, the girl like writes back and she's like, my name is, um, my name is Elizabeth Jane Cochran. And this is who I am. And he's just like, you should work for me. And she's like, what? So Nellie Bly was born Elizabeth Jane Cochran on May 5th, 1864. She was the daughter of a very, very rich man. So her father had two marriages. Okay. The first marriage, he had 10 kids. The second marriage, he had uh, five kids. So uh, Nellie would be the third kid of his new marriage. So Nellie grows up and with like a tons of, dude, she lived in a manor. She lived in a mansion. Like she was. Really but didn't she sign off as like the little orphan girl? We'll get to that in a minute. Oh, okay. Um, so she actually grew up Well, she was, when she was growing up, she was very, very um, rich. And so um, the dad dies when Nellie's six years old. I don't think he was like planning to die because he had no plan. He, he pretty much died and kind of just let everybody else kind of do their thing. He didn't 
um, put any money aside for like the, the kids that he had with his second marriage or with his new wife. So everything like automatically went to his first wife who had, they hadn't been together for years and years and like the grown ass kids he had had in that first marriage. So um, Nellie and her mom and her siblings, they pretty much have to live the rest of their life kind of struggling. So after that, um, it created a financial burden to them. Um, because of their crisis or financial crisis, Nellie wasn't even like able to finish school. So it was at her age of 16 where she was working with her mom um, and, and seeing how her mom had to make all these sacrifices at, at the same time had an abusive second marriage that Nellie's like, no, I want to do more. And so when that article hits, um, she's like, no, women should be empowered to be more than just a housewife. Like, pretty much talk, I'm thinking like she was talking back on her trauma. Like I saw my mama give up everything for a man and got nothing in return. So I know girls can do more than just sit at home and be pretty. I just want to say that I love people who can go through traumatic experiences and see all the ways that they're like, no, this is not going to be my life. I'm not going to repeat this cycle. Like to me, they're just like the strongest, most intelligent people ever. I know. I just love that. I, I think so too, right? Because it's really easy to get into the cycle and to repeat cycles. It's easy because it's like our trial and inherited trauma. But when you when you're like, this isn't, I don't want this to be my narrative, that's so much work. And that is so difficult because now you're doing it against everybody's will. Like nobody wants you, right? Um, and nobody expects anything of you. Nobody expects you to become anything anyway. So um after she was hired. For the Pittsburgh Dispatch, she continued writing articles. So she was really, she was so feisty. So she continues writing articles and she started like getting really into like the factories at the time. And she's like, I want to start exposing these factories and these like rich people who are taking advantage of these women who are working in like poor living conditions. And this isn't right. And so she would like publish all these articles. And the owners of the factories started like sending letters back saying, hey, you got to do something about that kid because she is talking too much and she's going to get you guys in trouble and da, 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 da. So then her boss is like, yeah, dude, um, can't be like talking about that anymore. So still love you, still want to keep you, still think you're talented. So let's keep you and let's transition you over to the women's pages where you're going to be able to cover fashion, gardening, society, living. How about you do that? It's better for you. And she's like, bro, I am so talented and I can do so much more. So how can I continue doing this without being an inconvenience to the men around you? And he's like, oh, she's like, what if I go to Mexico? And he's like, okay, go to Mexico. What are you going to do? She's like, I don't know. I can write about like people living over there in Mexico. So she goes and lives, she goes and moves to Mexico with her mom. And she's 21 at the time. So she lives six months in Mexico where she describes like how in her book, um, six months in Mexico, it's literally what it's called. <laughs> talking about originality. We have, yeah, we have people that are so incredibly inspired with their titles. This is little Nelly, right? We'll give it to her. So she writes this book, right? She talks about her experience living in Mexico, but it goes beyond that. This kid thought it was a good idea to start exposing the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz 
and started like criticizing the government and starts um, uh, talking about how they're censoring the media, they're censoring journalists uh, over there and how it's not right and it's all this shit. When they find out, they're like, no, <laughs> uh, you need to go back home. We can't have this little girl talking about these things. You, yes, I mean, it will be off with your heads if you stay here. So she's like, oh, okay. So she goes back to Pittsburgh. And then her boss is like, no manches, like you're back, what happened? And she's like, they don't just, they don't wanna hear it. Like, why doesn't anybody wanna hear anything? And he's like, you know what, Nellie, you can chill here. You can, you can continue working here. Let me give you some assignments. Go back to gardening, go back to fashion, go back to society. And she's like, no, nah, bro. Mm, can't do it won't do it and it's like everything she's opposed to everything she's opposed, <laughs> nothing that she wants she's like not interested he's like you got a job like keep your job like most people would be happy to just have a job she's like no i want more i want more so she like ends up quitting and she moves to new york she moves to new york and she's penniless she's unemployed she starts like reaching out to like you know like big companies, but they're like rejecting her because they already know her like reputation. Like she's like knocking and like hitting doors and she's like, also like, exposing just in a different way. Yeah. And that can be, you know, a little tricky. So after four months, she talks her way into the offices of Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, The New York World. So Joseph is like, all right, kid, you got my attention. What do you want to do? Like, what's your plan? And she's like, I don't know, man, like there's just so many things I like I want to do. And I just wrote this like really great piece on Mexico. Got me a little bit in trouble, but I really think like that's where I do the best at, like just doing this. So like thinking about Mexico, how about I like move to Ireland and like pretend to be like an immigrant and just to see how, you know, immigrants are treated into the country and, and just like expose like right on that. And Joseph is like looking at her. He's like, it's a little too dangerous. I'm not going to let you do that. She's like, what? The seguro, he's going to have me like writing again on fashion and women and gardening. And he's like, no, no, I'm not. How about you pretend that you're insane and you go to an asylum? And she's like, what? And she's like, no, yeah, like go undercover and go into an insane asylum, like get yourself checked in and, you know, report back to me. And oh she's God. like, what? She's like, heck yeah. So this is like the beginning of the best. And if you've seen American Horror Story, you that's know, exactly what I was going to tell you. <laughs> so, yes, Miss Nellie Bly is actually, um, yeah, she inspired the the role of the character. Um, the character. Uh, I forgot her name. I should have written it down. But yes, um, in season, I think it's season two, Asylum yeah. for American Horror Story. You have this reporter who goes in there to expose like the brutality and just like the con the living conditions of the people inside. Because so also during this time, isn't it when like husbands would like say that their wife was suffering from hysteria and just like drop them off like peace? Literally, and, oh, the Kennedy's dad did to uh, Rosemary. That's right. That's right. So it was just so easy to kind of just like be, nah, she's kind of like out there, bro. Like, mm, yeah, she's probably, she probably needs to be checked in. So, so Nellie is like, well, how am I going to pretend to be crazy? Like, how am I going to do this? And uh, she starts like taking, she like looks at herself in the mirror. She's like, I should make crazy faces. 
So she starts making like these weird faces on the mirror. And she's like, is that crazy enough? And she keeps on, no, that's not crazy enough. Let me look crazier. And so she, she starts doing that over and over and she also stops sleeping. So she like goes on this like crazy, like sleep deprivation. And then, so by the time she goes up to, um, uh, she goes to the hospital, she's like acting, like acting up the, the doctors are like, mm, she is kind of, you know, she probably should be admitted or something. Um, the, there was inside, um, she, um, she would like refuse to go to bed. She would give people like a hard time. And so they soon decided doctors were like, nah, this girl, and I say, quote, she is positively demented. And she's like, dude, getting in was super easy. Like it wasn't that hard. I just had to stop sleeping and I got in there. Oh, you have to do a suffer of hysteria. We got this. <laughs> just have bad cramps, I think, honestly. And um, so Nellie inside the asylum. So she spends 10 days inside the asylum. Not very long, right? But to her, it was an eternity because once she was in there, she got to experience firsthand how awful the living conditions were. Um, the nurses behaved obnoxious, obnoxiously and abusively, and they would tell their patients to shut up. They would beat them if they wouldn't. The, uh, the food was like just spoiled broth, spoiled beef, bread. They called, their bread was literally frozen dough. Um, the water was undrinkable. And then the, the patients were tied if they seemed, um, if they just seemed like too dangerous to be around. And it seemed to Nellie, like the more I was pretending to be normal, that I wasn't crazy, the more they would think I was crazy. And she's like, I even had like conversations with all these women that were in there and they were a hundred percent sane. Like they had no business being in there. She's like, so there is just something wrong. So her 10 days, she just writes all this material, right? Um, this uh, this report gets published on the world and it's later released as a book. It caused so much sensation. And because of this report of skill, this was the first time somebody used, did this like whole thing called the stunt reporting, which is like, I'm going to go in there pretending to go undercover, firsthand experience the conditions. And then I'm going to write about it and expose the, the dangers. She's literally the first person to ever do this, regardless if she was a man or a woman. Um, and so this caused sensation and this just brought, brought her like lasting fame throughout her career. After leaving the insane ward, she was like super, super happy that she had like not been there anymore, but she also left with a lot of regret. She knew like she was able to breathe again, but she also left knowing that there were so many people that were in there for the wrong conditions. So Bly's report prompted the grand jury to launch its own investigation into the asylum, which resulted in $850,000, imagine in the 1800s, so so much money, um, to increase the budget of the Department of Public Charities and Corrections. Uh, the grand jury also ensured that future examinations were more thorough um, and making sure that like people that needed to be admitted be admitted, not just because they're having an episode or their uh, whatever they they had. So, yeah. So her, her just her stuff was incredible, but her next move, right, is even more incredible. Um, so Billy continues doing this for years and years, right? She continues doing these stunt reports, and then one day she gets bored again. She's like, "Well, yeah, I did kind of like this whole thing. Like, what's next? Like, I've already." 
already did kind of what I wanted to do. What's my next big move? So in 1873, the book Around the World in 80 Days by Jules Verne was published. And so the book essentially, it's all, um, it's uh, fiction and it talks about like a trip in 80 days around the world. So Nellie's like kind of bored, kind of want to do something different, something a little bit maybe more athletic, maybe a little bit more adventurous. And she suggests to her boss, she's like, what if I do this whole thing? I've done the investigative thing, which is tons of fun. But if I do something more competitive, um, I'll do this, you know, I'll do what the fictional book did, but I'll do it for real life. And my goal is to like do it before the 80 days. Her boss is like, I like it, Picasso. So with the blessing of homeboy, she's like, let's go. So on November 14th, 1889, she boarded the Augusta Victoria, which was a boat off of the Hamburg America line and began her 40,000 kilometer journey. And girl, I don't know kilometers. I should have made this into miles. But it's American like, public school system. I'm sorry, you guys. Why do we do miles and not kilometers if the rest of the world's? Because we like to think that we're better than everybody. <sighs> We are better than everybody because this is America. Um, she literally took the <laughs> so so she she goes on this journey right, literally just wearing the clothes, the dress that she had on, and a coat, a really heavy coat. SLC. She took a ton of underwear. So she's like, I'm not gonna be stinky, right? Like this is gonna cause a yeast infection. We're not gonna get a yeast infection, my girl. Not today. Um, and her little she had a little baggie of like her toiletries and uh, a little like her little purse of money around her neck. And that's how she traveled the war. Um, of course, because um, the world just can't see one woman do one thing, right? They need some type of like more competition. The New York newspaper, um, they sponsored their own reporter, Elizabeth Bisland, to copy pretty much the journey of Nellie, except instead of going the way that Nellie was going, she would go the opposite way. And her goal was to get back before get back to the U.S. before um, Nellie would, and so when like reporters would approach Nellie during her saga, she would just simply say, "Dude, if somebody wants to just like do my trip in less time, go for it. I really don't care. Like it's none of my business. Y'all do you." So just like the ultimate baddie. Um, obviously, because we even want more competition because the U.S. is like so like extreme on like bets and like making things even more fun and keep like keeping people engaged i'm guessing um they organized uh there was a there was a like a guessing match where readers would be asked to estimate their arrival date like down to the second of when nelly would get here so nelly went through england so she crossed the atlantic right or the pacific or the my geography. Atlantic. You were right. The it was Atlantic. Atlantic, the Pacific, the Gulf of Mexico. I don't know. So Atlantic is East Coast to Europe and oh, Pacific yeah. is West Coast to East Asia. Okay. So the Atlantic. No, yeah. but like if she goes around the world. Well, eventually she, she would goes, have she to travel other Europe. oceans, but you said that she got... So I'm, I'm assuming she boarded in New York to get to Europe, right? So if right? you cross the Atlantic, I'm not even going to, I shouldn't even start this because I don't know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't even start this. We're going to get fact-checked again. No, I, uh, I, I want to be fact-checked. Hold on. So if I'm going to England, I have to cross the Atlantic from New York. 
Correct. Yes. Okay. So I'd have to go. Okay. So I'd have to go to England. So then she goes to England. She goes to France. Then she goes to this place called Brindisi. Brindisi. Brindisi? All I could think of when you said that was, I see London, I see France, I see Nellie's underpants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then she goes to Brindisi and then she goes to Sioux Canal, Colombo. Guys, I'm butchering this. I'm sorry if you guys are from these places. Okay, I'm, I'm going to see if I can actually try to keep up with you. So I just brought up a rolled map. All right, okay. give me the places. Okay, so she goes to England. Then she goes to France. Okay. Brindisi. Well, is that like a country or like I don't a... think it's like a country anymore. See, I was just getting like the names from when this was done. And okay, then okay. the Sioux Canal Colombo. Okay. And then the Strait Settlement of Penitent. Penitent? Pen Penelope? I don't know. I mean, you lost me in France, but go on. <laughs> and then she goes to Singapore. She goes through Hong Kong and she gets to Japan. Oh, fun fact. Oh, Never. okay. So she's basically crossing from Europe to the Middle East to Eastern Asia. Mm. Ah, da, 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 da. Dude, my girl, it was so cool. She got a monkey in China. I don't know why I needed to say that. I just thought that was a fun fact. Um, I wanted to have a monkey and my mom never let me have one. So I ended up having two kids instead. Please don't buy monkeys, you guys. It's unethical. Um, so Nellie finally arrived to New Jersey, back to New Jersey on January 25th, 1890 at 3.51 p.m., just over 72 days after her departure. So she literally beat the record of the 80 days. While Elizabeth, who was like trying to compete with her, dude, she was barely like crossing the Atlantic back. So yeah, like... Girl, stay in your lane. Why are you even like fighting the good fight? Like, don't even compare. Uh, but good for you, though. Good for you. Um, so, yeah. So, Elizabeth, it took her four more days to arrive back to the States. So, Bly's journey, like I mentioned, was a world record and had a huge impact on like the history that we know today. It inspired so many more people to like even beat her record. So, after her, of course, there were tons of men who were like, yeah, you'll come in. Then they did it and they, they, they broke Nellie's record. Um, but no one can ever take her from like being the first person to have actually done it. So the first of the first and for many things. So Bly eventually, she quits her job reporting and uh, she begins to writing novels, living a quiet life until she got bored. And she's like, let me go back to reporting. In 1893, she gets back to reporting. She's like, yeah, writing novels was all fun and games, but now I'm going to go over here. So she pivots back. She wrote stories of people fighting during World War I. She was the first woman to visit um, the battlefields. Uh, she also covered the women's suffrage procession of 1913 and accurately predicted that by 1920, women would have the right to vote. So Miss Nellie was just fantastic and amazing. She passes away from pneumonia in New York City at the age of only 57. She left such an important legacy, though, behind. And, you know, it's kind of like what that TikTok says. She ran so Peppa could walk. My girl ran. And that, my friends, is the amazing story of Nellie Bly. I, that's, she broke so many records. She did, like, she so, did many so much. Like, I was the first. I was the first. I was the first. I know. And yeah. it all started from her being like, no, women are not housewives. We are not just there to breed your children. 
And in 57 years, she lived such a full life. That is a full life. Mm-hmm. When was she born? Like, what was her birthday? Um, 18. Uh, no, no, like, like actual date. Oh, yeah. you're going to look up her horoscope? Of course I am. <laughs> May 5th, 1864. May 5th. Okay, so she's a Taurus. She's a Taurus, yeah. Mm, wow. I don't know, dude. She's giving me some, like, fire energy, though. Like, I don't know. She's... She's she's a baddie, like you said. I love how today, like we have finally come back in that whole um that we came on one theme. And it's like we came back to women who expose. One exposed her tits, the other exposed the loonies. <laughs> <laughs> she one exposed her tits. Oh my god. See? Don't you you can't tell a girl she can't do anything with her boobies. Mm-hmm. Um, exposing you know, she, her son is in Taurus, her moon is in Taurus, and yeah, so she's we need like an official astrologer who can help us determine people's charts. Well, you can just Google it. No, 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 but I mean, like, what would that mean? Like, does the personality fall on you? Know what I mean? Like, somebody who could actually read your chart, not just kind of like your personality traits. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. What is the finale? What yeah. was her rising? She's that's what I'm trying to find. Rising. She's got Sagittarius rising? No, I see. That's what she seems like. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. If you guys figure out her astrology chart, Renee, I like, just got the moon and the sun, and that was it. Date of birth. No, time of birth. No, like if you just Google her by name and ask for her birth chart, it'll. Somebody already does the work. <laughs> Google is free, my friends. That is the stories that we have for today. Thank you so much for listening and for joining. And remember, no es cafecito con tu abuela. It's tequila shots with your best friend.